You're listening to episode six of the Journey to Launch podcast, how to improve your mindset and stay focused on your financial journey. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 everyone. Thanks so much again for joining me and tuning in for another episode of the Journey to Launch podcast. If this is your first time listening, welcome. Welcome to the journey. Happy to have you here. This episode is pretty special and amazing. I am talking to Fifi Buchanan. She is a writer, cook, health enthusiast, and overall just mental samurai, as I discovered from this conversation with her. She is the host behind the Wonderfully Made podcast, and I first met Fifi actually on Instagram. I talked about launching my podcast and she reached out and showed support and she didn't know me, but she signed up to support the podcast launch, which I thought was just very um, special of her. And she mentioned that she had a podcast and I went over and listened to her podcast and I was really impressed when I listened to it. So her podcast mainly focuses on well-being and mindset. And as I was listening to the podcast, I thought, wow, like what she's talking about is so relatable, so relevant to personal finance. And while it might not necessarily seem like that at first take, it is because a lot of our issues with personal finance and staying on the journey is improving our mindset around our feelings and thoughts around money and our behaviors. So in this episode with Fifi, we cover so much, so much goodness. We talk about how one can stay focused on the financial journey, coming to grips, coming to terms with being where you want to be and being where you are, how to let go of negativity, doubt, and fear, just to stay focused and moving towards our goals, how to just not let the current state of our finances affect how we feel, how to weather the storm no matter where we are. And we go into some health, Topics. So Fifi is an expert on eating healthy and eating well. And so we talk about how we can do that on a budget and by not spending a lot of money. I really hope you enjoy this episode with Fifi. So please listen, stick around. You will be able to find the episode show notes for this at journeytolaunch.com forward slash episode six. Also stick around for the very end because I will be reading some reviews that I got from the podcast so far on iTunes. I think I'll just pick one. So if you are listening on iTunes right now, please make sure you are subscribed. Make sure you rate and review the podcast because this is how more people find out about us, how we get more people motivated and joining us on this journey. Stick around for the end for that. So let's get started with the interview. Fee, thank you so much for joining us on the Journey to Launch podcast. I'm excited to have you on. Absolutely. I'm so glad that you asked me to do this. Yeah. And so before we jump into all that we're going to talk about today, I want to have you introduce yourself to the audience. Who are you? What are you about? And what's your background? Okay. Yeah. So I am a Southern California millennial. I grew up in San Diego and I've kind of lived in all the major cities now of California. So San Diego, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Sacramento. And when I finished graduate school, I was pursuing a, well, I was going to pursue engineering, but then I also on the side wanted to do a catering business. And so I called it divine hostess. But then I moved for a job, and so that separated me from my business partner, so the business didn't last long. But I loved the name since I was the one that came up with it. So I started a blog, and then when I started graduate school for mechanical engineering, I had these great professors that really encouraged me to continue following all of the different aspects of my passions. They basically said, look, you're an engineer, so you're an analytical person. You are someone who 
find solutions. And that doesn't have to be only at an engineering company. And furthermore, lots of companies hire engineers that are not strictly technical companies. So over the years, I've worked as a mechanical engineer, I've worked as a technical writer, but then I've also been able to pursue my passion, which living in Los Angeles has been a lot easier being a big city with a lot of creative opportunities. And just over the last like eight or nine months, I have been completely freelance. So doing technical writing opportunities, doing some voiceover opportunities, and then other article writing. I wanted you on the podcast because so everyone, I first connected with Fifi through Instagram. And you saw that I was launching my podcast and you gave some encouraging words and you also signed up to support the podcast launch, which I was very grateful for. And oh, I was happy to. Yeah. And then you mentioned you had a podcast. So then I went to go listen to your podcast, which is wonderfully made. Um, That's the name of the podcast. And I was just so inspired by the topics that you talked about on your podcast. So can you just talk a little bit about what your podcast is about? And then we can go into how this all relates to finances. So I know everyone's just like, all right, Jamila, like what is going on? Like, this does not sound like a finance topic, but we will what get there, guys. On? Yes, we will yes. get there. So, so Wonderfully Made is a lifestyle improvement podcast. I mean, I'm pretty sure you've noticed over the last 10 to 15 years, how the self-help section has expanded in bookstores and online. And it's a good thing, right? I mean, people are looking to improve themselves emotionally, spiritually, physically. It's growing, but I personally felt that a lot of the content that existed was coming from this like kind of like a tough love sort of tone. And that doesn't always really work for me whether it be like workouts or whatever it is, like, you know, some people when they're working out, they want like that boot camp instructor that blows the whistle and like <laughs> yells at them, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. And like, okay, knees up, knees up. Okay, not me. That doesn't really work for me. I look at them like, why are you yelling at me? Like, I don't, <laughs> I, what's happening here? I prefer something more conversational where I meet you where you're at. And so since I didn't see it out there, I did it myself. I made it myself. And one of the biggest things for me starting a podcast, because I mean, it's not like I was new to content creation. I already had a blog. I already had a YouTube channel. So I was familiar with creating, but I never really specifically used my voice. And I mean, my actual voice, like I never did much of that. I just kind of like got on camera and just talked or, or cooked. But I had a friend, gosh, about a year ago who was basically found out that brain cancer had come back. And I didn't know her during the few years when she first got it, but I knew her during the time she was in remission. So then she finds out it has come back and I'm all the way in California. She's all the way in New Jersey. So three hour time difference. But you can imagine the despair of a person who is, it has a small child and just everything going through that. So I wanted to find a way to be there for her. And I knew that it would be hard for me to talk to her in the morning before work. And so I used a voiceover app on my phone and I would read scripture to her. And so I'd read scripture and then I would edit it to have some soft music in the background and I would send her like five to seven minute clips. So that way she could listen whenever she wanted. And after I sent it a few times, she said, oh my gosh, I play these when I'm going to sleep. Is there any way you could make it like a YouTube channel or something? Other people would really benefit from this. And so I started just like sharing them with other family members and they said the same thing. So that's kind of where, why the tone is what it is, but I'm naturally a writer. So it was an opportunity to share stories. And like I said, meet people where they're at, because I like to hear the excuses people have so we can find out what they are and come against them, attack those excuses and get past it. Instead of saying no excuses, I listen to what people complain about and I make a podcast about it and say, let's address it. Why is that so difficult for you? What would it take for you to overcome it? Right, right. Yeah. The podcast for me, what I heard when I was, I listened to it was, it was just such a positive message about, you know, everyone is on a journey, their own personal journey. And it takes a lot of emotional and mental work to stay focused on your journey. And as soon as I heard it, yeah, I related it to finances. So because we are all also on financial journeys, I mean, we're on multiple journeys at once, right? There's always something that we are, yeah, there's always something we are progressing to. And so one of the main and major things I feel about in the finance world is we focus a lot on the technical stuff. So how to budget, how to save, what's a Roth IRA, what's a retirement savings account. We focus on the technical aspects, but one of the biggest things that people do not focus on or do not give enough credit or 
learn to improve is their mental and emotional feelings around money and staying positive on this journey. And then when I heard your podcast, when I heard some episodes, I really was inspired. And I said, I have to have Fifi on as a guest, because while it might not seem this is a personal finance topic, it totally is when it comes to improving your mindset, improving how you feel internally, because it helps you on your journey. So what are your thoughts on that? Oh, definitely. I love that we can tie these things in because I remember when I first started reading books on finance and I felt like it was very technical, but it was like, okay, but what about how I'm going to feel? What if I feel deprived? I mean, it's the same thing with a diet, right? As soon as you start telling people to eat healthy, they start thinking about all the stuff they can't have. And it's sort of like this, it makes them feel like they're closed in and they're limited. And so I think that ignoring the emotions and ignoring some of the unhealthy thoughts that we have around finance turns into unhealthy behavior, right? Our thoughts and how we feel turn into actions. So it's best to start working on how we can replace those unhealthy thoughts with healthier ones so that way we can have better actions for how we spend. You know, for instance, if you don't think more money is available to you, well, first of all, it never will be. You know, it's best to have an attitude of abundance and say, while I'm also budgeting, I also believe that there is more money available to me so that I can not just have enough money in my savings, but I can also go on the trips that I've been wanting to go on. I know I can pay off my student loans, you know, earlier than 30 years. There has to be some healthier attitudes that come into play along with the actions. Otherwise, you'll be miserable. Right. And we will touch upon some things that the listeners can actually do to help increase how they feel, the improvement of the emotions around money. But I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the topics that you discussed. One was you have an episode that is called The Limitations That Come With Comparison. And I thought that was good because, you know, in the social media world, with Instagram, with Twitter, with Facebook, it is so easy to see what someone else is doing online, to see that kind of positive picture, because that's mostly what people post. They post like the nice and pretty pictures. Right, absolutely. when you're on a journey, so say, you know, you do not feel that you have as much as the next person, you can start to compare yourself. Or especially in the day and age, and I'm guilty of this too, when I shared my story of saving $85,000, you know, someone else maybe who cannot even fathom to do that might look at that and, You know, while one person might find that inspiring, another person might feel like, oh, my gosh, like that is definitely like not something I can do. So how can someone on the journey, how can they not compare themselves to someone else's journey? How do we stay focused on our own journey? Well, so in the episode about comparison, about this young bird that is growing up to be a very majestic bird, but instead it's focused on this jaguar, which is an incredible animal, too but doesn't see its greatness as a result of focusing on someone else. And so I would encourage people to think of it that way when they are comparing, because I think sometimes we focus only on maybe like the jealousy or something like that, but sometimes it's not just jealousy. It's like you're studying this other person and you're learning all of the wonderful qualities about them, but you're ignoring all of the wonderful qualities about you. And so I think getting to know ourselves and our strengths is super important to our financial journey because for me in the past year or two living in LA with the cost of living being high, it was really important for me to understand what I'm good at so I could find other streams of income. There were things that I was super good at that I was doing for free that I learned later I could be paid for. So that's one reason to focus on yourself and not others because, wow, she takes really great pictures doesn't really put any money in your bank account. But instead, be inspired by it and say, wow, that person was able to turn a hobby into a full-blown business. I wonder if I have some things that I'm really great at. And one way to find that, by the way, because I hate just telling people things and not having application for it, think of the things that your friends often come to you for advice about. And think about if that is something that is profitable. I mean, there might be like the friend that like whenever someone's planning a date or a party, they always call and say, what should my menu be? What should I wear? How should I decorate? Maybe there's some consulting, you know, that that can be done if people are constantly coming to you. For me, it was often about life stuff. They would say, well, I've got this difficult conversation I have to have, Fifi How should I do it? I mean, can we role play? Like, do you think this is rude? And so it's just interesting going from that friend that gives that advice to now being on a platform and doing that same thing. I think that comparison 
it can be healthy in a sense that you're looking around to see what exists and what's possible and what's out there, but it can be limiting because someone else's possibility doesn't necessarily even begin to tell you what your own possibility is. And it's scary because you following someone on Instagram and you have 5,000 followers and they have 5,000 followers and you live in LA and they live in LA, but your backgrounds and who you are and your gifts and your talents could be very different. So right now you found an intersection where you're sort of on the same path, but the paths were never meant to just be parallel the whole time. You're meant to go one way, they're meant to go another. So you just don't want to limit yourself by focusing so much on someone else. Right. And I actually like that point of focusing on your own strengths and what people come to you for, because it's almost how I started Journey to Launch, because I'm definitely that friend or that person that all my friends, all the people who know me in real life, they're just like, Jamila is on top of her finances. I always got asked questions about how to save, how to invest, how to invest in real estate. And so I took, yeah, and I took that as a sign that I should be spreading this message, sharing what I feel is a talent and helping more people, not just my immediate circle. And it also reminds me of Brene's Brown book, Daring Greatly, you know, standing on the sidelines. And while it's great to admire and it's great to use people as inspiration, because I do that all the time. You know, I make sure I'm following people that I, when I look at their pages or if I'm following them on social media, I feel inspired to act. Right, same here. Right. I think it's just important that, On this journey to financial freedom, it is so easy to look at what the next person has or what they don't have and then automatically discount your own experience. And that's definitely not the way to for someone to live because it can become very disheartening and depressing if you look at it that way. And those feelings of being disillusioned and just feeling like you're so far from your dreams, that is not productive and will not bring abundance into your life. And it's not to put someone down if they're feeling disheartened, but it's like maybe you're disheartened because of your focus, maybe focusing on, well, you know, sometimes we see these success stories and someone is a CEO at 25 and they have no debt and they own six houses And that's like, oh, but I'm older than them and I don't have any of those things. And it just ends up being very, very discouraging. They may be becoming who they're supposed to be, but we have to focus on who we are supposed to be. Our success is defined so differently when we really look at like, who am I supposed to become? Like my version of success is like maturing into who I'm supposed to be, not just like what I've acquired. Mm, Right. Those are really good points. And then how can someone who is not where they want to be For example, my goal is to retire in six years or less. And I've come to a point where, and this has been throughout my whole working career, I've had a long commute. And oh, yes. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And I know that if I focus on the negativity and what I hate about the commute, I will not last. Like, I will not (laughs) last in the car. I will not last at work. It would just not be good. So I always choose to look at the positives of my commute. The fact that I can listen to podcasts. I can be by myself. I can, you know, focus. Again, it's like I'm not where I want to be necessarily financially either. And while I might be further along than some people on their journeys, for me, I'm not where I want to be. I want to be able to retire and do what I want without worrying about a paycheck. And so how can someone like myself, someone who has a lot of debt, who feels like, you know, they're not going to pay it off anytime soon, how can they stay motivated towards that goal, but then not be upset and frustrated about their current situation? Yeah, that's an ongoing journey for all of us. I think the first thing is gratitude. And I'm not saying just that uh, lip service that sometimes people do and they'll just simply say, I have clothes on my back, I have a roof over my head, I'm blessed. Because, I mean, it's deeper than that. None of us just only want to survive. We want to thrive. We want more than that. But gratitude is deeper for me. So when I write my gratitude lists now, I don't just say what I'm thankful for now. I'm even thankful for the things I haven't gotten yet because I believe that strongly that they will happen. And I think that that's part of the key. It's faith. It's really believing that, like, I didn't just have these dreams for no reason. I don't see myself traveling the world just because when you're making a gratitude list. And I think that they're really helpful in the beginning of the day, but they can also be helpful at the end of the day, especially if it's a stressful day is to, you know, of course, list some basic needs that you are grateful for, but then also think about the stuff that you know is coming into fruition because you're working towards it. Um, the other thing is 
exploring opportunities on your job. Like sometimes people are not happy at their place of work because they're in the wrong position and they're not aware that someone is able to move them around. I worked at one company for three years. I was an intern, but it was more like an associate position because I'd been there so long that they'd given me basically like the entry-level engineer job at that point. And so I switched jobs about five times. And some of those jobs were terrible because of the actual position and sometimes management, but they were all great experiences in that I learned something. But it was really cool the first time I moved because that first position I got was actually one of the worst. It just, they weren't challenging me enough. And I just felt like I was kind of just like sitting around waiting for work. When I found out that all I had to do was start networking with other managers and not even say I was looking for a job. Hi, yes, I know you work in asset management and I'm super curious about what you do. Is it possible for me to take you to coffee, like offer them coffee or lunch? And can we chat about what you do? And based on those talks, either they would offer me a position or they would recommend me to another manager. And once I saw that that worked, anytime I got antsy or felt like work was kind of dwindling, I did exactly that. I started networking and figuring it out. And I think sometimes people don't know that that's an option. And it's just like, well, this is what I was hired to do. And I don't know what else I could possibly do here. Go and have conversations with people. Even just to say, yes, I just started in my position, but I'd like to be a project manager in three years. What do you think that that would take? And I feel like that lights a fire under some people because it makes them feel like they have something to work towards and it's more exciting than what they're currently doing. Another thing is an exit strategy because I think a lot of people say they don't plan to be somewhere long or they want to do something else, but they don't actually have a strategy. Once you put the exit strategy together, you realize there's more that you have to do, whether it's saving more money or maybe there's certifications on your job that you need, you know, before you can get promoted. And then once you get promoted, you want to stay in that position for a certain amount of years. It's having that strategy because you can't just simply say like, I'm sure everybody had a few friends when you, you graduate college and there's a couple people that they're just like in between. They don't really know what they want to do. But one thing's for sure, I want to move out of my parents' house. I'm moving out. But it's like, well, what's your plan? Do you have a job? Are you planning to get a job? Do you know how much it costs to move out? Like, If you don't know those things, then five years from now, you will still be talking about what you want to do and you won't be doing it. And that's where that discouraging feeling comes in because you constantly know that you want something, but you have no plan or no way of working towards it. And I think the last thing, and I've said it a couple times already, is just believing in abundance because I think the main reason why people stay on jobs where they are underpaid and underappreciated is because they don't think anything better exists. You know, someone else is saying, well, I don't even know if a company would ever let me still have my benefits if I can only work part time. I have to work full time. And then it turns out they're super valuable. And if they go and approach their boss or someone in HR, they can say, well, we would require you to still work 30 hours, but yes, you could have your full benefits or yes, you can work from home two days a week. It's You have to kind of believe that what you need and what you want really does exist. And I think you will be less disheartened believing that and knowing that. And if you have that attitude, even if they've never done it for anyone else before, they can do it for you. I mean, I remember working at a company and I didn't really want the job because it didn't really fit my commute and didn't really fit my schedule. And the vice president of the company said, well, work from home then. Mm. (laughs) It was just so simple for him, just work from home, you know? And I think that it's not always that easy, but it is as easy as believing the opportunities start to come. I think shifting to that mindset, you're naturally going to be more content wherever you are. Right. And then I just like the idea of the, out of all the things you mentioned, the common theme is perception. You know, you can look at the glass half full or half empty. And then the other thing is taking control and not feeling like things are being done to you, but you are doing them. You are the controller of your destiny. So if you are in a position or in a job that you don't like or you are just not completely happy with, that's okay. But there are ways in which you can turn that around inside your job. It doesn't need to necessarily be a big leap to a whole nother company in a whole nother city to increase your happiness while on the journey. Yep. I like that. I like that. And you had one of your podcast episodes and we kind of talked about it a little bit in terms of like the workplace and how we survive working in a job necessarily that we are not happy in so that we could reach our goals. But do you have any other survival tips for working? This is definitely one of the biggest things for me. I think that human beings, we need milestones. We need goals. Like I work out 
probably five or six days a week, but I'm constantly like hiring a new trainer or starting something new because I think that that's what motivates me. But the problem is if your goal is really far away, you can get disheartened in between. Now that could be even with your position. I worked for government before and they would give me projects and say, this is due in two years. Well, what am I supposed to do in the meantime to help me stay motivated? I think that you've got to create some for yourself. Even if the person you work for doesn't set these tinier goals, you set them for yourself and you say, well, when I get 10 pages of this proposal done, then I can check that off my list and align those goals with some rewards. I don't think even as adults, we've changed much from children. I mean, you know, when a, a kid uses the potty for the first time, the parents cheer and they clap and the kid picks that up, right? Right. right. Well, I know because my kid, my three-year-old is potty training right now. So this is our oh, life. Okay. Oh, okay. This gosh. is relevant. Then. This is relevant. Yes. And I think that sometimes we kind of think that we've grown out of that need for rewards. So then we kind of don't have fulfillment. And so in your workplace, even if your boss didn't give you a half point milestone, give yourself one. First of all, that's important too, because you never know when some other stuff goes down and now your deadline is now shorter than you thought. So it's, it's nice to maybe set some earlier deadlines for yourself and then set up some rewards. But here's the really important part about rewards. Never set up a reward that derails you from your goal. So if you are saving for your trip to Madrid and your half point is $1,500, then your celebration shouldn't be spending a significant amount of that. Same thing with, I tell my clients when I do health coaching, if you had a weight loss goal, then maybe don't go and binge so much that you end up derailing yourself from your healthy plan. Instead, when I meet a fitness goal, I reward myself with maybe a new pair of yoga pants or a massage. And it's the same thing with finances. Maybe if you've got a goal that you're saving for, think of some other way and experience that rewards you, but does not take away from where you're headed. It's helpful. Yeah. And I really like that because I talk about goal setting a lot because it's important and you have to know where you're going and how you're going to get there, or you will definitely veer off track you would just not be focused on the journey if you don't have these roadmaps in place. And I really like, cause I probably don't do a good enough job of this myself. I really like the small rewards in between for reaching goals. And like you said, it doesn't need to be, you know, you're going to buy yourself a brand new bag or you're going to go out for an expensive dinner. If you hit this savings goal or want you investing this amount, it doesn't have to be so big. It can be the smaller things that, we find that increases the happiness in our life that we can take on to give ourselves rewards. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so another episode you had, and I really like this one, was the three thieves. So you talked about three things that really can derail us from reaching our goals, and that's negativity, doubt, and fear. Can you talk a little bit about that and how we can recognize these in ourselves and how to overcome them so that we can reach any goal that we set for ourselves? Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, in the story, I basically present them as suggestive, whether it's a, a negative thought that you entertain, something that scares you. It's always this little seed that's planted from just an idea that you entertain. Because honestly, the opportunity to doubt or be fearful or be negative is always there, but it's whether or not we entertain it. And once we entertain it, it can just take off and then it just becomes chaos. I just wrote this story because I was like just visualizing the chaos that it's created in my own life in different times when I could have chosen to not entertain that thought. And so things like something happens in the workplace that you don't like, and now maybe just based on some correction you didn't like, you become negative and say, well, that person thinks I'm stupid or I'm terrible at my job, instead of looking at it in a more healthy way and saying, I'm a soldier, like I've been doing this for how long? I can take this criticism and I can turn it into something powerful. And I think it's really important to recognize it. I don't know which is worse, honestly, doubting ourselves being fearful, being negative. I think they're all terrible. And that's why I talked about all of them. I would encourage you guys to listen to it if you have a chance. I think that for me, I mean, because each of us have our own weaknesses or areas, I think fear is the most powerful one. And being analytical, I know there's someone else that's going to be listening that's like this. 
we disguise our fear as being responsible. And I'm just analyzing the different ways that this could fail. You know, I'm being realistic, like we disguise it, but it's really fear. You don't really have time to entertain a hundred different scenarios for why something can fail. You know, it's just not smart. But sometimes perfectionists and analytical people, this is what we do. And you end up either not starting or actually messing things up yourself because you're not confident and following whatever procedure you were supposed to follow. You're basing everything on if there's a storm, if there's a rainy day. That's something that I constantly have to work on because I don't even think people recognize it. They're like, oh, good job, Fifi. Good looking out. We should prepare for that. But it's like, how many storms do you prepare for? (laughs) Right, right. At some point, you need to have the courage to just go to just do it. Just go and do it. And you improve as you go. But you know, the others too, negativity and doubt, same thing. Negative people always say what? I'm just being realistic. Mm. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. you really got to watch out for them when they're telling you that, you know, if you're starting a business or you're setting out and you're saying, well, in five years, I want to save $50,000. And there's someone always there to say, I'm just being realistic. It's negativity. A lot of times negativity can be dressed up in so many different ways where you don't always recognize it. But if it's turning you away from your dream, instead of helping you find a solution to get closer to your dream, then it probably is negativity. And of the three negativity, doubt and fear that you talked about when I, so my goal was always to want to quit or retire before the standard retirement age. I felt this way even when I started working full time at 22 years old. And it's funny because what happened was when I got into the workforce, when I started working, I call it the fog. Like I kind of started to sleepwalk throughout life and my finances because I realized that most people, it seemed like they were just, they accepted the fact that they would work until they were 65, 70, and they weren't happy with their jobs, but everyone around me seemed okay with that. <sighs> and for me, while I had this so such a go-to attitude, I was so hungry to figure out a way to, you know, become financially independent and to become rich, quote unquote. Like I had that, I had that drive in the beginning when I first started working. And the more and more that I was in the workplace, I started to say, well, I guess, you know, everyone works. Like everyone has to work until they're 65 and no one loves what they do. You know, this is just what I need to do because like, who are you to think that you deserve a different life? Because what I saw around me, it just seemed like everyone just resigned to just the status quo. I don't know which one of this, maybe that's more of like doubt that I started to doubt myself and my abilities because it just seemed like everyone else seemed to be okay with this life. So what, like, why was I so special? And it wasn't until I started to educate myself when, when I started to increase my financial circle of influence. So I talk about this a lot where if you immediately, like in real life, don't have people in which you can feel inspired by or feel accountable for your spending and for your goals, then go online and find that. So we talk a lot about the negative aspects of like Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. But like I said, I met you through Instagram. I've met so many amazing people who inspire me on that. So once I started to open up myself to the financial podcast and seeing that people were retiring at 30 years old, I said to myself, wait a minute, this is possible. I was doubting myself and I put my dreams on hold because of what I didn't really know how I was going to do it. But I also just doubted it. And so this is such an important thing to, I want to make sure that the listeners are hearing this because you're going to have doubts and that's okay, but you have to recognize them and then pivot and, and change it around. Because if you don't, you might get stuck in, t- in a fog and not be able to get out of it. And this is why improving our mindset has to be a daily act. It has to be no different than the need to take a shower. Just like you can't take 30 showers at the beginning of the month and be good, (laughs) you can't just read a bunch of affirmations, read a finance book at the beginning of the year, and then think you're good for the rest of the year. That's why a lot of times taking things in small bits at a time is much better. So you have time to implement and make it a lifestyle. I really believe that we all act and walk out our convictions. So if you want to be doing something different, then your whole mindset and what your convictions are have to change. So, I mean, I was listening to one of your recent podcasts and you mentioned what the health, right? And everybody's like, ah, (laughs) jumping ship. Like, ah, we've got to, you know, no more meat. I happen to be vegetarian. So I felt like it was like not a big deal watching and it was overly dramatic how people reacted. But those who are trying to be vegan, it can't be based on a documentary. If your belief system has not changed, 
you are not going to change. And you're not also going to get the same results as someone who is saying, I'm pivoting my lifestyle for these reasons. These are the benefits I'm looking to have. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So Mm -hmm. it's really the same for finances. For me, I had a tough time because I mean, I'm old enough to where the laws hadn't passed for them to be giving credit cards out to college kids on campus. I mean, they passed the law later that you can't just be on campus giving these applications to these 18 year olds and letting them get credit cards and things were a mess. And it took a long time to get my credit score up and then also to graduate and have some good income coming in. It was not like an overnight process, but my whole mindset changed and how I looked at money changed. And that's been helpful. I'm definitely not where I want to be, but I don't have the same mindset that I once did about money. And I just think it came from daily. I was on this conference call with a friend and her boyfriend, and we would have these weekly calls and we would learn about credit, improving your credit, how to deal with creditors, how to deal with your student loans, what debt is most important to pay off. And, you know, maybe if some of the stuff I learned wasn't applicable at the time, but I'll tell you one thing. I started out on that call at like a 430 credit score and then went to like 760 over those next couple of years. So it obviously had some impact on me. And I think just weekly, knowing that I was going to be on the call was encouraging me not to have bad habits during the week because, well, I know I'm going to be getting on this call. It was almost like Weight Watchers, right? Like how Weight Watchers is that accountability of I'm going to get on the scale in front of everyone. Being on that call was really important. And so, you know, you may not be able to grab all your gal pals and say, we're going to talk about finance. We're going to do this. The closest people to you may not want anything to do with it. And so you do have to go to Instagram and Twitter and different places and find people. And then once you start improving, the people in your life will ask you about it, which is what happened with me. And I was able to help other family members make improvements too. And that's been really rewarding. Right. Because sometimes you just need to be the example You might not be able to preach it or say it because like you said, it has to be an internal drive that you have that you want to change. So you can't like make your boyfriend or husband. So I get asked a lot, how do you get your partner on board? And while you can definitely set things up to where for them, it's more comfortable to talk about finances and you can educate and learn together. But unless they internally want to do it, it's really not going to work. You cannot make someone want to not spend, right? I feel like that's such a great point to make that you really, really have to, one, internally want to make these changes, want to internally stay on track and set yourself up so that you are more aligned with reaching your goals. And then on top of that, find sources that can hold you accountable, that can support you on your journey. Right. Absolutely. There was a time when I had every finance app ever on my phone and I wasn't using any of them because my mindset really wasn't there. I hadn't matured. Really, I just had a bunch of information at that point, but I really think little by little one goes far. So that's just daily looking at things has been helpful for me. And then just believing that what it is I want exists. And I mean, although I'm not the finance expert, I know that It was also really cool to hear that it's not always about cutting my expenses, but also focusing on making more. How can I make a little more? Because for me, living in a city like Los Angeles, it's like if you try to go too low on the budget, like for where you live, you're somewhere unsafe, you know? So it's like you can only go below a certain point where you end up putting yourself in danger or it's more inconvenience. So if that's the case, if you know I cannot spend below this amount, well, what other sources do I have to make money? So you can use your time effectively outside of work to pick up freelance stuff or passive income, whatever it may be. But like having that belief that you can learn that if you know nothing about investing or whatever, okay, take the time to learn and then know that that can be another source for you. Because these big cities, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yes. It's tough. Like when I was in the Bay Area, You'd have these people who have all these degrees, they spend all this money on school, and then they get a government job, and so they're not making that much getting out of school. So they're like five to a house or something, and it's like they're not living any differently than when they were in college because of the real estate market. So you got to be creative. you got to think of other ways that you can bring in money so eventually your lifestyle can be pretty comfortable. Right, and I like that because part of the... With finances, you know, it's the income minus expenses equals how you can get a further ahead. So whether you use that gap to pay off debt or to invest or whatever it is, you really need to create 
a difference. And so I know a lot of people, and you know, I talk about this a lot too, is you have to get your expenses under control. You have to know what you're spending because a lot of it, you know, you're spending mindlessly on things that don't really matter. But the other part of it, what you touched upon, income. Income is the fastest way to really hyperdrive your savings goals, your investing goals, anything. Your credit score. <laughs> exactly. Yes, it is important to have a budget and to track what you're spending and cut things that you don't need. It is more important to find ways to increase your income. So I really like that because obviously that leads into the abundance mindset. So how can someone then now create an abundance mindset? How can they not only look at finances from, okay, how can I not spend things I don't need to spend, but how can they look at it from a point of, you know what, money is flowing to me. I can create more money. It's not from scarcity. I don't need to be afraid about how little money I have. How can someone change the mindset around that? I think a lot of times our mindset becomes about lack because we're currently lacking. So it's all about circumstances. I think we need to look back at points in our life and say, was there ever a time when things were flowing? It doesn't matter if it was just one week or a month or maybe if it was even a whole year. Was there ever a time? And if there was, talk about it. What did you like about it? What were you doing at that time? And now that you're able to visualize and remember, is it not conceivable that you could have another time of abundance since it has existed before? That for me, that's really helpful because depending on the jobs I'm getting or how much freelance is coming in, it can be a little scary at times. Like, oh gosh, you know, three months ago I was doing well and now I'm not. And I forget all about the time I was doing well and start focusing on, well, it's a little slow right now. But then when I think back, no, there were times when things were going really well. I remember having a sales position and this was when I was still in college, but I took it because there was a chance like with commission to make a lot of money. And our boss basically encouraged us for the week. I want you to do so well in your sales this week that you exceed your father or mother, whoever's, you know, has a job that, you know, their paycheck for the week. And that was the most money I ever made while, while being a college student. It was so crazy. I just, by having that challenge, I can look back at that time and say, I hustled like, because someone put a goal in front of me, I like, I killed it. I mean, I probably didn't even make as much as I wanted to, but I blew my mind with how much I made. And I think we all did. We were all like, well, what was it about him setting that goal? Why don't I sell like this all the time? You know, we all believed in the product. We all liked the product, but it was like suddenly when people said, I can't make the appointment till 9 p.m. I said, 9 p.m. I'll be there. When I think previously I would say, well, I stopped taking calls at six. You know, I was closing myself off from opportunities, but now because I had a goal, once again, human beings, very goal oriented, then I was like, well, I want to make this amount of money. And I had that in my power to do. Now, when you're working a job where you're on a salary, hustling harder doesn't necessarily bring in more money. But if you do some of the side jobs and think about other freelance work you can do, yes. And then also being creative with your job. Can you ask for a raise? Like that's to me is an abundance mindset, thinking about what is in my sphere already that I am not using as a resource, but I could use as a resource. Is there a way, like, what is it that I spend a lot on? If I work from home, did I not ask my company to pay for my internet bill? Maybe I can do that. Maybe I can ask them since I'm working from home. Maybe I can ask them if I can work a different schedule so I can have every Friday off. And on those Fridays, I do my own freelance work. I mean, there's lots of different things that are right in our sphere. And so I think an abundance mindset also has to do with this being innovative with your mind. Because it's like, you see there's like a successful people and then you see unsuccessful people And the unsuccessful person always says, oh, I didn't have this or I didn't have that. But then you talk to the successful person and they're like, I started with $100, but I did this, this and this. Like they are shameless about how they find resources. I never recommend being a scammer, of course. Right. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. and that's prevalent on the Internet these days. Right. You got these tweets. Oh, if you want to make $100, you know, hit me up. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. None of that. I don't want to make money selling a dream to someone else that they can make money. But there are things around us that we are not using as resources. But a person who has an abundance mindset believes that. They say, well, do I have textbooks that are only two years old sitting on the shelf? Could I sell those on the internet? Whoa, I could make a quick like 100 bucks just from that. And that $100, I can invest back into my business because I want to do YouTube. So I'll take that 100 and put it towards my camera. It's just the person who's successful is just more resourceful. That's it. Right. And you have to be innovative. Like you said, you have to be creative 
with your thoughts, even if you think back into what made us tick as children, like what inspired us, what motivated us. A lot of us had dreams and things that we love doing. And then as we got to be adults, we let those things go or we forgot about them. And it's those little things that really, if we focused on or took a little time to not you know, necessarily maybe be on the internet as much if it's not really helping your business or watch TV as much, you can like set aside some time to really work on something else that's going to make you more money or improve your life. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, because it's really about improving your life, right? It's not really a dollar sign in your bank account. It's that we all are seeking a certain quality of life. Right. So one thing that I also wanted to talk about was how to move on from past mistakes or things you wished you could have done differently and not necessarily you in particular, but just maybe someone who went to school and realized they graduated with tons of debt that they could have avoided or spent a lot of money on credit cards and just disheartened that their past mistakes are now affecting what they're doing currently. How can someone let go of all that really just and start fresh and start anew going forward? I have to just use myself as an example and how my attitude is. This may be a reflection of being like an 80s kid, but I think the most beautiful part of the human condition is our resilience. Like my favorite movies, and these are mostly 80s movies, are like the rags to riches stories where either someone has been like rich all along, but they just didn't know who they were, or they thought of something and it then attracted wealth to them. Those are like the coolest stories in my mind. Like whenever I like different movies that I've watched where it's like this person starts out one way and it changes, we all have that ability to come back from something. It doesn't mean everyone will be a billionaire, of course, but we have an ability to transform. And I think that that's like the most beautiful part of being a human being. And so it's really important to like forgive yourself, forgive your parents, because whatever they didn't teach you, they just didn't know. And letting that go and saying, I can do more with this time that I have right now, and it can make up for any 20 years I lost or 25 years I lost. I can do more with the knowledge I have now. And it's so true. Like Just by understanding some key financial concepts, you can really dig yourself out of many, many holes. And then you can also just look at some of the entrepreneurs who are very successful and how many bankruptcies they've had and how many businesses have supposedly failed, but they learn from those. But I, again, I focus on resilience because I feel that that's connected to forgiveness. When we can't forgive, it's because we are condemned. We feel like this is it. This was the last straw. This was my last shot. And I've ruined things. And I feel like people get stuck on that, but it's not your last shot. You have breath in your body and you have a mind to think. And so you're able to come up with an idea that can help you to bounce back. If you know that you can bounce back, you won't be stuck in that state of unforgiveness of I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done that. Because trust me, there's been times when I think about what I spent on school and I go, am I even really using my degree? But the truth is I am. I'm not using it in the traditional way. And when we get off of that and say this, that whatever last thing I did was not my last shot, then you can move forward. I heard someone say this. It was about golf, but I think it applies to life. And they said, the least important shot is the last shot. And the most important shot is the next shot. So if you focus on that, then you can't help but forgive because the last shot doesn't even matter. Right. I like that a lot. That was really good. Wow. You're dropping so many great nuggets <laughs> about how we all can improve our mindset and emotional intelligence when it comes to sticking to our goals. And I want to just pivot really quickly because you also, you focus a lot on wellness through health and food. And so for someone who wants to eat well, but they're on a budget, so we're going to look at the expenses side of things again, how can they eat well on a budget without spending lots of money? Oh my gosh. Eating healthy is so expensive. I hear that all the time and I don't relate. I can't relate at all because I buy a lot of organic. I'm vegetarian. So I mean, mostly plant-based, I still eat cheese or whatever. But the point is that organic has a reputation for being very expensive. And then anything healthy is supposedly expensive. But I think it comes down to learning how to cook I did not learn how to cook until I moved out because both of my parents know how to cook well and then extended family knows how to cook well. There was really no reason for me to learn. But once I I moved out and then I was on such a limited budget, I'm talking like $20 a week for groceries had to make it. And that's like very little when you've got to make three meals and snacks. 
I started learning how to cook because I realized that like buying a can of chili could cost me three or four dollars, but then I could also buy all of the ingredients to make it for five or six dollars and it's enough for several meals. And so one, you got to know how to cook. If you don't know how to cook, then there are compromises where you buy some prepped and some fresh food and you combine those into really good meals. I think one of the biggest things that people need to stop doing is being in denial. I think when we are trying to be on a budget and also trying to be healthy, we say to ourselves, you know what? I don't need those blueberry muffins, so I'm not going to buy them because that's unhealthy. I'm not going to have anything unhealthy in my house and I'm going to be really, really good. But what ends up happening is because you did not buy yourself some reasonable treats, you're now going to go to the vending machine or you're going to go to Starbucks and spend three or four dollars plus a coffee. I think it's better to buy yourself some reasonable snacks that are fairly healthy, but, you know, a little bit of a treat. And that way you have those already factored in. They're factored into your budget. So you're not buying like impulsively and you're not eating impulsively and ruining your diet. And so I no longer lie to myself. I think about what kind of little treat am I going to want? What's a healthy way? So for me, I like the cinnamon swirl sliced bread from Trader Joe's. That's like super good to me. And, you know, it's probably better than buying like a cinnamon roll, but it's also way cheaper. Even if I spend like four or five dollars on that, that can go in my freezer. And then when I'm over it, you know, I can come back to it at a later time. If I don't buy those treats for myself, I am guaranteed to go somewhere else and spend four dollars or five dollars or ten dollars to fulfill that craving. I think we think that the craving's not going to be there if we just don't have it in the house. Maybe some people are different, but what I've experienced from coaching people is they splurge and it just messes things up. I think we need to factor those in. It helps with your budget. And I've noticed too, like some of the homemade stuff can really save me money and it also tastes better. So an example would be veggie burgers. I know even non-vegetarians eat those because they're pretty good. So you can buy uh, frozen veggie burgers, four in a pack for about $4, or you can make them at home. I have a recipe for lentil burgers. That whole thing was about $8 for the ingredients because there's very few ingredients in it, really tasty. And you can make about 10 to 12 burgers from that. Mm -hmm. And what I usually do now when I make them is I freeze about two thirds of them because I'm not one for eating the same thing every single day. So got to be real with myself and say, well, I'll put those in the freezer for later. But how that compares is when you go to a a restaurant and have a veggie burger and fries, you're going to spend about $10. So it makes more sense to make it at home and it's going to be healthier because you know what is in it. A lot of restaurants, they're just taking something out of the freezer too. That's what people don't realize. Like the reason your food is coming out in less than 10 minutes is because (laughs) they are doing industrial microwaving. So, you know, do you want to save yourself time? Sure. It takes a little time to make the veggie burger, but this way I know what goes in it. And I'm also putting more money into my savings because now the medical bill is less. It doesn't have to be vegetarian food, but the point is whatever homemade stuff you can make where you control what goes into it, you don't have to worry later about inflammation or different issues with your body because of preservatives. So I don't mind spending a tiny bit more to make sure that the produce I eat in high volume is organic, but truly I'd save in a sense that I'm making it all myself and it tastes better. And so as a result, I'm more satisfied because what happens when people eat fast food sometimes is, I mean, gosh, you pay for it, you eat it really, really fast, and then you don't really feel satisfied. You still feel like, I could eat a little more. I could, I still kind of have a hankering for something. It's right, just you still not feel as hungry. Yeah, like that's what they say with Chinese food. Like it has that MSG yeah. in it that you can eat it, and then you're just mm-hmm. like hungry in 20 minutes. Yeah, so I think it's better to learn how to make some of these things. Plus, my favorite vegan place that I go to in LA, not going to say any names, I went in to pick up my order recently and the lady was cleaning and sweeping the floor. And then when she went to do my order, she went and served my rice. Like she didn't wash oh, her hands. Oh no, my gosh. I can't eat out anymore. That's it. It wasn't like I got to get a new spot. It was like, no, I got to go home and learn how to make vegan orange chicken because this is not going to work <laughs> for me. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, if they want to do a documentary on scaring someone, they should do that. Go to restaurants and see what's really done. That might put everybody back on their budget. Right. Everybody would want to eat at home. <laughs> I would need to watch that because that's one of my things in my budget is it's like, we just like going out to eat and not having to cook. Yeah. yeah. I like the experience for sure. And there definitely are some places that are better than others, but 
the whole premise for Divine Hostess was to enjoy entertaining again. And I have this pet peeve when I'm out at a restaurant and I'm dining with someone and the waiter or waitress comes up and interrupts conversation. Like they don't even get a sense for what's happening at the table before they rush up and say, can I fill your glass with water? And it's like, well, use your best judgment. I'm trying to break up with him. Do you see what's happening? (laughs) Right. But it's like sometimes the conversation could be very intimate. And so you know, because I came from a family where entertaining was huge and and everybody just really loved having family gatherings was teaching people how to make some really good, yummy meals, but simplifying the recipe so that you can easily make a lasagna or, you know, whatever it is. And then you can dine at home. You don't have to worry about the wrong order came out or someone interrupting, or if someone wants to share something very intimate, you don't have to worry about the restaurant is closing. And so I think bringing back that love for entertaining also helps the budget. Another thing that kind of contributed to me having a blog was right before graduate school, I just really didn't have very much money. I was saving up for grad school. I was about to start in about three months and I was working at a company and like every penny I had to save because I was getting ready to start school. And the two young ladies that I was closest to, one was saving for a house, another was also in grad school. So we were very much similar with our spending habits at that point. On a Friday night, we would have a little text, like a group chat, and we would talk about what was in each other's fridges. And then we would meet at someone's house and we would make something up with what we had. Mm. It was so fun. You got to have some, at least one person that knows how to cook. Otherwise it's a disaster. And honestly, these days it's six, seven years later. So blogs are a lot more helpful, but some of the recipes that came from our Friday night gatherings of somebody bringing an old DVD, because sometimes it's fun to watch a movie that you really like, but you've seen a million times, you know? So we would do that and we would cook and I learned how to make different cultures of food and we saved money, you know, whatever fruit or veggie that was going to go bad in two days, you've now cooked and shared. But I just noticed we all had very similar spending habits. So it was very harmonious. Like it was never like, "Eh, I don't know if I should do that. I don't have the money. Like we would just make it work, spend the night at someone's house sometimes, wake up, let's all wash our cars. Like, you know, just everything was very much like have fun, but like save money. Like creative. No, yeah. Yeah. So have a viewing party at your house instead of, you know, I haven't caught up with my girlfriends in a while. Is there a show that's coming on that you guys all enjoy? And then, you know, have people bring stuff or rotate who's going to host it. And what you cook at home is typically going to save you a lot, a lot more than being in a group dining situation. You know, those group dining situations where the bill comes and you're like, but I I didn't even have any drinks. And and now I'm splitting a $400 bill. What, like what, how (laughs) you don't have those problems when you just dine at home and keep it simple. There are some things that you can make that are very filling and yummy and they go far, like build your own chili. So I made the chili and then there were all these sides and toppings. And I mean, that was like so inexpensive and it was fun. It was easy and it was fun. And I love that so much more than a restaurant. Right. No, this is some great tips, especially when it comes to the food thing, because I know a lot of people struggle with that and then struggle with going out to eat and overspending on drinks and restaurants. So thank you so much for all these great tips. I'm going to have all this, you know, so in the show notes for this episode, which I'll talk about later, you're going to be able to find all the episodes that I mentioned on Fifi's podcast, and then you'll get to connect with Fifi in the show notes. So Fifi, thank you so much again for coming on the podcast and sharing your thoughts. This was so encouraging, such a delightful conversation. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Wow. Wasn't that a great episode, guys? I really hope you got a lot from that. I know I did. So as I promised, I wanted to read a review that I received on iTunes. This is the first review, and these reviews mean a lot. When people review the podcast, when you review the podcast on iTunes, and you rate and you subscribe to it, you make the podcast more searchable and findable for other people, and it helps get the word out. So to show my appreciation, I'm going to read some reviews that I get. Today, I'm just going to read the first one. And this is from Night and Nurse Naz. I hope I said your name right. But they said, finally, a podcast I can relate to. Not just another financial podcast. It's hard to process and relate to financial advice from middle-aged men who have no clue of the financial struggles I encounter. Being that the average net worth of a black woman is somewhere around $5, 
This podcast provides education to bridge the devastating knowledge gap. I'm here for all that Jamila has to share. Check it out. Wow, that, like, this review was everything to me. It really, it made my day, it made my week. Like, seriously, thank you so much, Night and Nurse Nas, for letting me know what you feel about the podcast and providing a review. So once again, if you are listening in iTunes, please review rate and subscribe to the podcast so I can know that you like it. So I know what to continue to do well and what I can improve upon. And thank you everyone who has continued to send me personal IG stories, DMs, and just general feedback about what you've been liking about the podcast. It means everything to me. If you want the episode show notes for this podcast episode, please go to journeytolaunch.com slash episode six. And once again, you can always join the Facebook group. We chat a lot about everything in the Facebook group from the podcast episode to blog articles to just everyday life choices we are making with our finances. So come on over and join us. You can join us at journeytolaunch.com slash community. All right, guys, I'll chat with you next week.